Shane Beamer and his coaching staff's recruiting efforts are paying dividends, not just in the 2024 class, but in future classes as well. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and also a staff writer for Gamecocks Digest over on SI.com. Thank you for making Lockdown Gamecocks your first watch or listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and also wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. Shane Beamer and this entire staff have been doing a tremendous job on the recruiting trail. This all really started in the 2022 recruiting class, the first quote-unquote full recruiting cycle that Shane Beamer and his staff had, obviously not being able to get a head start like other coaches could because of the fact that he and his staff were hired for the most part back in December and January of 2020. And It's that head start portion of the statement I just made that I want to focus on to start today's show because Shane Beamer and his coaching staff now are no longer behind the eight ball and they've been getting after it on the recruiting trail as evidenced by the guys they've landed so far in the 2024 cycle. And this has led to both early traction and a quote-unquote luxury effect with the 2025 recruiting class. What I mean by luxury effect is this. South Carolina is so ahead of the curve in terms of recruiting certain positions, especially on the offensive side of the ball in the 2024 class, that they're already starting to build early rapports with multiple prospects on that side of the ball in the 2025 cycle, not just any run-of-the-mill high school football prospect, some elite talent on the gridiron. And that starts with 2025 offensive tackle David Sanders Jr. Obviously, South Carolina already landed Cam Pringle back in late January, and they're in good position with other offensive tackles in the 24 cycle, like Josiah Thompson out of Dillon, South Carolina, and Mike Williams, a former high school teammate of current Gamecock, Desmond Umeo-Zulu. Lonnie Teasley and Greg Atkins, because of these efforts, have already started to focus the majority of their attention, it seems like, to the 2025 class. And their biggest target, quite literally in terms of the rankings, is David Sanders Jr. He is the crown jewel of this class and probably the best athlete of the class. He's been named the number one overall prospect by On3's quote-unquote composite or industry ranking for this cycle. And this is backed up by the offers he's gotten from programs like Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and a plethora of others I could go on and on and on about. South Carolina, just as a reminder was his fourth overall offer, his third overall Power 5 offer, and his first offer from the SEC. And that carries some weight here. And here's the thing. David Sanders, he's already visited South Carolina a couple of times in the recruiting process and is set to visit South Carolina Later today, which would be his third visit so far in this cycle. Now, of course, South Carolina's going to have a lot of competition in this one. But them landing Camp Pringle and 
guys like Blake Franks and being there in that lead group for Josiah Thompson, Mike Williams, this has helped them significantly with the 2025 class in terms of, again, getting ahead of the curve compared to these other schools who are still trying to land certain offensive line prospects. And that's not been talked about enough, quite honestly. But the offensive line is not the only area in which a 2024 early commit has helped the Gamecocks because it's also taking place at the most important position on the football field, which is the quarterback spot. South Carolina, of course, got Dante Reno back in July, early July of 2022. And it seems like that that commitment is as rock solid as it could possibly get. And that things have sort of quieted down with Jane Bradford. Essentially, reading the tea leaves here, it seems like the Gamecocks are standing pat at the quarterback position with Dante Reno's commitment in the 2024 cycle. So they've already begun some legwork on some 2025 prospects. And Ryan Montgomery out of Finlay, Ohio, is one of them. Montgomery is viewed as a four-star prospect and has been offered by teams like Ohio State, Georgia, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Auburn, and a lot of other teams that have also been in the game for David Sanders. And Ryan Montgomery took his first visit to South Carolina this past weekend, and he seemed to have a pretty good time while he was in Columbia, saying that there's something very special down in Columbia. Had a great time at the University of South Carolina. There was a photo of both him with Beamer and him with new offensive coordinator Dow Loggins. So the Gamecocks, again, already hitting the ground running at the quarterback spot for the 2025 class. And they would not be able to do that if they did not have a signal caller already in the 2024 cycle. You look at a lot of other teams right now, they are scrambling to try to find a quarterback. Clemson, maybe they're not scrambling, but they're a team that in 2024 so far, as far as I know, does not have a quarterback. Aaron Noland is probably about to go to Ohio State, which means you're going to have to start going to option C, D, E. South Carolina is not having to do that at some premium positions on the offensive side of the ball, which leads me to the tight end position. The Gamecocks, of course, got Michael Smith out of Savannah, Georgia, just a couple months ago. And because of the fact they're only going to lose Trey Knox more than likely after the 2023 football season, they pretty much can stand pat at the tight end position as well, which means they've already, as you can probably tell, moved on to the 2025 class where they're looking at a guy like Ethan Barbour. Barbour, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, that is, is viewed as a top 10 tight end prospect for the 2025 class. And he's got offers from a plethora of historic and prestigious programs like Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, and tons of others. And much like Ryan Montgomery, he visited Columbia this past weekend. And Ethan seemed to have a pretty good time. Here's a couple photos of him with, I believe, Trey Knox and Jody Wright in one photo. The other one is obviously Shane Beamer after probably talking to him in his office. And then another one where he's holding the Palmetto Bowl trophy. A pretty good trophy to pick out for these prospects to take photos with, if you ask me. So... The point being, with going over all of these specific recruitments for the 2025 cycle is this. Shane Beamer and South Carolina's football staff, they're really starting to see the recruiting efforts pay off. And that's quite obvious with the current ranking. You know, they rank 8th, I believe, in 24-7 sports composite rankings so far. They could have a top 10 class by the time this cycle is over. 
But what's not being talked about enough is what South Carolina is now able to do for future classes because of the work they are putting in right now. This is something that is going to be quite important to watch moving forward. Imagine the wide receiver position. The Gamecocks can get a Jonathan Paler and maybe a Zion Reagans or someone else to pair up with Paler and Mazio Bennett. Then they could be pretty much set at wide receiver for this cycle and then look ahead to maybe some guys that could be transferring in the offseason after 2023 or look ahead to 2025. It allows you a lot of flexibility and Again, that just speaks volumes as to just how well Shane Beamer and the staff are doing on the recruiting trail right at this very moment. Now, another team that's about to go through an important recruiting period is probably Don Staley and South Carolina's women's basketball program because they've lost the entire freshies group. And even though they're bringing in another talented crop of freshmen for the 2023-24 basketball season... They're going to have to get some transfers because you cannot go through a whole season with just 10 scholarship players. You just can't. And there's one particular player that just entered the portal in the past 24 hours that could be quite the intriguing option for Don Staley and her squad. We'll dive into who that prospect is in just a couple moments right here on Lockdown Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. The NBA's regular season is getting ready to conclude, and we're about to start the NBA playoffs. So right now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Essentially, you're going to get money either way at the end of the day. FanDuel's app is safe, it's secure, and it's super easy to use. You can bet on anything that you want to, from a money line to a point spread, you name it. FanDuel believes that the Milwaukee Bucks and Phoenix Suns will be the two NBA teams that will meet up in the NBA Finals. The odds for that hypothetical matchup are currently listed at plus 500. So if you like Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks, and you like Kevin Durant being paired up with Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and CP3 over in the Western Conference... Feel free to put some money down on that bet, plus 500 odds, again, on that matchup. Don't miss the chance to get your nose wet first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Let's talk about an intriguing transfer portal target that could be there for Don studying the South Carolina Gamecocks if they want her. And that is DePaul transfer Ansa Morrow, who could be an absolute difference maker in terms of scoring the basketball for the Gamecocks this next season. And Saboro is probably a player that you have not heard about very much for a couple reasons. One, she played for DePaul, and DePaul has not made the NCAA tournament in the two years that she's played women's college basketball up to this point, and they play in the Big East, which obviously used to be a dominant conference in college basketball, period, but now is sort of a shell of what it once used to be, but Morrow has been quite dominant on the hardwood either way. This past season, Morrow averaged 25.7 points, 12.2 rebounds, and 2.6 steals 
per game, shooting 42.5% from the floor and 25.4% from three-point range. So I went back and watched some of the highlights from Anson Morrow's sophomore campaign, and there is a lot, to put it bluntly, that Morrow would offer the Gamecocks as a front-court player if she were to come to Columbia. Morrow's got great hand-eye coordination that she showcases in help defense by getting her hand on the ball, which, of course, leads to you averaging 2.6 steals per contest. She beats defenders with quickness out of the post. She is somebody that, once she gets the basketball, she does not mess around dribbling basically one spot, trying to figure out what exactly it is she's going to do with her defenders. She pretty much tries to get out of that position as quickly as possible, not stay stationary to where the defense could adjust or be able to crowd her and essentially block off any openings near the basket. She is quite good in that aspect. She fights really hard and can secure great positioning in the front court when it comes to rebounds, despite the fact that she's only six foot one. And she did this against some really good teams like UConn, Notre Dame, and Maryland. So she did not face a bunch of slouches throughout the entirety of this past season, is my point there. She is very good at taking it straight to the basket. She also is a very smart basketball player that understands spacing when another teammate has the basketball and, say, is driving through the lane. And this allows for their teammate to have some drive and kick scoring opportunities created for Mora when she's on the weak side of the basket. And she also does a great job at running a transition offense quite efficiently. Now, as good as Moro is as a basketball player, there would be a couple of potential negatives with this kind of move. Firstly, Moro, based on the way she plays, would likely be playing at the four spot, and that would offer the Gamecocks a couple of conundrums. Firstly, this would make her a bit undersized at the four spot, probably against SEC competition and the national level competition that the Gamecocks usually schedule in their non-conference slates every single year. The other problem that this could present, and this might be one that's a deal breaker for making any pursuit of this kind of player, is the fact that if Ansamora was brought in by Don Staley and her staff, that would very likely upset Sanaya Fagan and Ashlyn Watkins, especially Sanaya Fagan, because Fagan has been waiting her turn behind Victoria Saxton and Letitia Mihir for the past two years now, and is about to go into her junior season. And she has shown a lot of flashes in the games that she has played late in those contests. So if Morrow, say, decided to come to South Carolina and play out the next two years of her career there, her final two years, because she would not have a COVID year, we are for the most part done with that in college basketball. If that were the case, Sanaya Fagan would quite literally never get a chance to start South Carolina. She would likely immediately bounce into the transfer portal and go elsewhere. And if you're South Carolina, you might sit there and think that, hey, We've got plenty of talent already at the four spot with Sanaya Fagan and Ashley Watkins. We don't need another four. We need somebody that could play the five spot behind Camilla Cardoso. And obviously, based on the fact she's six foot one, as hard as she fights in the paint, at some point, height would be a disadvantage for Moro at that five spot behind Cardoso. So, and obviously, she's not going to come here to go off the bench in the first place. So basically, 
If the Gamecocks decide to go after her, they would get a big-time scoring threat. Somebody that, again, understands the nuances of playing the game of basketball and could be a tenacious rebounder. So, they would not see a drop-off, essentially. They would see a massive bump up in production at that particular spot compared to maybe what they've had in the past couple years, even with both Amihir and Saxton being here and playing significant minutes. But if they also brought her in, they would risk sort of upending the balance of team chemistry and team morale in the front court, again, with specifically Sanaya Fagan and Ashlyn Watkins, and likely you would see one of them get upset enough to where they would decide to transfer. More than likely, that would be Sanaya Fagan if I had to guess just based on sort of her classification and everything else I've already mentioned. So this is a very interesting player, certainly probably the top player in the transfer portal market now, Ansa Moro, that would be. And the other thing that could be a potential negative here is Don Staley is all about sacrifice. There's not very many players that are going to get what they want when they come to South Carolina, which is basically probably being the alpha of the offense and having the majority of the scoring opportunities. No, we're going to facilitate to everybody else on the floor, and we're going to run the offense based on what we've done the last several years through our front court. So if you're on Samoro, again, you would probably get a lot of opportunities if you were to come here, but... Maybe not as many as you got at DePaul. So, a lot of questions here is my point. So, it'll be interesting to see if Sapcon does decide to pursue Ansa Moro. Because, again, if they do, they could get a big-time scoring threat in their front court to offset some of those losses there. If they don't, then obviously Don Staley's got plans to maybe go after somebody else in the portal. So, again, we'll just have to see how all of that unfolds. All right, now, of course, basketball season has officially ended now that the women's basketball team was bounced from the Final Four. We've been going through the aftermath of the conclusion of the season with all of the freshies now walking out the door. And Dawn Staley and her staff are now looking to try and reload to make a comeback attempt, essentially, this next season. South Carolina's baseball team, on the other hand, has still got a lot of their regular season play left on the table. And they're about to face the biggest litmus test of the season this weekend when they take on the number one ranked LSU Tigers in a number one versus number six matchup that will start off later tonight. LSU is 25-4 and four this season up to this point with series wins over Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Arkansas and a midweek shutout victory over the Texas Longhorns. When looking at LSU's batting lineup. LSU is very aggressive at the plate, and they seem to be a team that honestly, not to say that they don't have any sort of approach at all, but this is a team that is not afraid to swing at the ball once it comes to the plate. This is evidenced by the fact that only two starters in their lineup have drawn more walks than have struck out this season, and those two starters are Trey Morgan and Dylan Cruz. Dylan Cruz, specifically, right now is probably the National Player of the Year in college baseball. His numbers are just unbelievable. They're not from this planet. Get ready for this. Dylan Cruz, right now, is slashing 531, 659, and 927. That's batting average, then on base, then slugging percentage. That is absolutely unheard of, even for college baseball. He's done all that in 29 games. Oh, and he's also hit nine home runs and batted in 
35 runs. And much like the Gamecocks, the Tigers have a quartet of players that can hit the ball out of the yard at a very high clip. I just mentioned Dylan Cruz. They've also got Tommy White, Gavin Dugas, and Jared Jones, who have all hit either 9 or 10 home runs to this point in the season. So for South Carolina's pitching staff, you have got to avoid having any repetitive tendencies that show up in these games against LSU's batting lineup because this looks to be a lineup where if they catch on to any, again, sort of repeated decisions, let's say you keep going back to your fastball because that's what you want to keep throwing. LSU seems to be the kind of baseball team that can make you pay for that. So essentially, it's not going to be as easy as I'm going to make it sound. But South Carolina's pitching staff has got to vary up their pitches. If you like a certain pitch, fine. Still stick with that. Don't change up your entire routine. But also, you got to work in some of your breaking stuff over the course of the game. And the entire pitching staff is going to have to be locked in this weekend. There cannot be a single reliever that comes out on the mound and has a bad inning or two. Everybody has got to understand that their inning that they pitch, their three batters that they face, could be the little difference between the team either winning a game or losing a game. That is how good LSU's batting lineup is. So everybody has got to be in lockstep this coming weekend. Now, moving on to LSU's pitching staff. Uh, just like their batting lineup, they're pretty freaking good. That's my hard-hitting analysis with this group. Out of all the pitchers that have pitched nine innings or more this season, that group has a 3.16 ERA and a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 3.57 to 1. Two pretty solid numbers right there. Only two pitchers, by the way, out of this specific group have walked more than nine batters this season, which is just, again, something that is completely unheard of, even for the collegiate level. Paul Skeens, Ty Floyd, and Thatcher Hurd look to be the LSU Tigers' three starters based on the numbers. And Paul Skeens specifically is going to be the guy to watch out of this pitching staff on Thursday night. This is Paul's stat line to this point in the season. 7-0 win-loss record. 0.81 ERA. And a 10.3 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. Mark Kingston said at his Wednesday press conference that um, Paul Skeens is the kind of pitcher that you would literally build in a factory, basically. And um, I would have to say, I don't think there's any better way to put it when you listen very carefully to those stats right there. So for South Carolina, what do you have to do here against the Tigers pitching staff? You've got to string together quality at-bats. That is going to be the name of the game in this series. Now, this has pretty much been the approach for South Carolina all season long with new hitting coach Monty Lee. But again, it is going to be at a premium in this series because you're going to be facing some really talented arms from this Tigers pitching staff. So, still look for your pitch, but you've also got to make these pitchers work when you can. And here's the thing. I actually think that this pitching staff from LSU can't be hit pretty hard. If you can get past their initial group of frontline pitchers that are really solid. I would say that LSU has got seven really good pitchers, including their three starters. So essentially, four reliable bullpen arms. If you can hit the bullpen early in game one, 
probably a very tough hill to climb there. Or Game 2 on Friday or Saturday, depending on when that game takes place due to the impending weather this weekend, then South Carolina, in my opinion, could end up opening the floodgates this weekend. But again, that's going to be a lot easier said than done. Now, some miscellaneous notes real quickly heading into this game. Will Sanders is going to be making his first start since he basically didn't get benched, but was given sort of the week off this past week when the Gamecocks faced off against the Mississippi State Bulldogs on the road. And Mark Kingston, again, said in his Wednesday press conference that he essentially used last week to give Will Sanders a mental reset, saying sometimes you just got to give a guy a chance to step back from the game and just sort of, again, hit that reset button both mentally and physically. The other thing, a big question mark. Will Carson Hornung and Noah Hall play? It seems like that Carson Hornung is going to be available this weekend, but is he going to be able to maybe play in that DH spot like he has been for most of the season? Or is he going to be maybe coming off the bench, being a pitch hitter option if things go south in a couple of these games? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Noah Hall been dealing with some back issues since this past weekend series against Mississippi State. And um, Mark Kingston was not committal on Wednesday on whether or not, of course, Noah Hall was going to play. No surprise really there. But I will say this. If he's dealing with his back and it's still up in the air, I don't like the odds of him probably playing this weekend. I mean, especially being a pitcher, I just don't know if Noah Hall is going to be able to go if that is what is bothering him so much. So, with all this bearing in mind, I do think that South Carolina is going to win this series. I think South Carolina is going to win this series two games to one. That's my final prediction. LSU, the thing is, they've played only four road games all season. It's not really the fact they've played just four road games. But they played at Texas, which is a midweek game, and the Longhorns are in the middle of a quote-unquote down year compared to their program history. And Texas A&M's home field advantage and environment just does not compare to Founders Park. When Founders Park has a series like this show up on a weekend, that place is packed, Carolina is loud, and the fans are going to let the opposing team hear it. This is going to be an intimidating environment for the LSU Tigers. Don't care who they played up to this point. And the other thing is, hey, they got a good baseball team, but South Carolina's got a pretty dang good baseball team too. I also got a sneaking suspicion, just complete gut feel here. I think that Will Sanders is going to have a solid performance on Thursday night. I really believe that Will Sanders is going to bounce back this weekend against LSU. Again, doesn't mean he's going to go seven, eight innings or longer. I think that it's going to be a solid five, six innings, and he's going to do enough to put the Gamecocks in good position to possibly win on Thursday night. And if I had to guess who that third starter might be, again, I mentioned earlier, I don't think Noah Hall is going to start this weekend. I just don't see it happening based on what Mark Kingston's been saying and the fact that it's a back issue. So because of that, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think James Hicks starts the third game for this series. It makes too much sense. I know that Mark Kingston has sort of gone with a quote-unquote starter uh, role with some of the bullpen arms where they've gone out there and pitched two, three innings. And look, if you've got the majority of your bullpen for that third game, which would be maybe a bit of a surprise considering how good LSU is in their batting lineup, then by all means, I could see him going that route. But in my opinion, 
This should not be a hard decision. James Hicks is a veteran. He's a senior. He's a guy that has actually started on the weekend against really good teams before. And he's a guy that's done well up to this point this season. I think that you give him the ball on Saturday and just tell him basically, go to work. That's the way that I view it. But obviously, again, I'm not the coach. Mark Kingston and Justin Parker will, of course, come down to the final decision in that regard. But nonetheless, uh, buckle up. I think it's going to be a very fun series this weekend in Founders Park. With that being said, y'all, that's going to do it for today's show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. I hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show, as always. What are your thoughts on Shane Beaver and this coaching staff's recruiting efforts and how it's really opened the door for them to sort of get some early traction with some really elite prospects from the 2025 recruiting cycle? Let me know your thoughts on that and the other topics I discussed down below in the comments section if you watch today's show on YouTube or if you listen to today's show on an audio podcast app. You can shoot me a direct message on Twitter at A-Line underscore SC and I'll try to respond to your message as quickly as I see it. And once again, thank you for making Lockdown Gamecocks your first watcher listen here today. I really do appreciate you tuning into today's show. For your second listener watch, check out Lockdown College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Pat will bring you everything you need to know both on and off the court. Plus, hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Lockdown College Basketball is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. But once again, that does it for me on today's show. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Lockdown Gamecocks Podcast.